This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you on this New Year's weekend in Northeast Ohio and beyond, depending on where you're tuned in, either on the podcast or on iTunes or on the Indians Radio Network. And as we play it for you on this New Year's weekend, great to have you with us. And we take a special look back. We've done this in past years, and we started this on Thanksgiving weekend. A look back at the 1948 World Series when the Indians took on the Boston Braves and won their last World Series championship in a six-game thriller, clinching it with a Game 6 victory at Braves Field in Boston. And that's the focus of this week's show. We'll hear from Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio with some of the background and behind-the-scenes stories of that 1948 World Series. So a look back at history and, of course, the national radio calls from Mel Allen and Jim Britt. They had the, the radio call for the national feed during the 1948 World Series. So a lot of that is coming your way over the next hour. So settle in on this New Year's weekend and enjoy Tribe Baseball old school style. The last time they won a World Series, 1948. It's coming your way as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio on this holiday weekend. Great to have you with us as we continue our look back at the 1948 World Series. We started with some of the audio calls of Game 2 of the 1948 Series back on Thanksgiving weekend. And we conclude on this final weekend of 2017 with a look back at Game 6, the clinching game between the Indians and the Boston Braves as the Indians would win that World Series in six games, clinching the series in Boston at Braves Field in a Game 6. And in visiting with Bob DiBiasio, we talked about some of the differences of 1948 compared to today in terms of just making it to the World Series. Of course, today you might have to win a wild card game just to get to the Division Series, just to get to the League Championship Series, and then make it to the World Series to have a chance of winning that World Series championship. Now, back then, it was simply winning your league that helped you advance to the World Series. There were no tiered playoffs at that point. The league champion advanced to the World Series, and for the Indians, that meant advancing directly to the World Series, sort of. As Bobby D. details, it wasn't so easy for the Cleveland Indians in 1948. An eight-team league, 154 games, and believe it, this was the first time in American League history that it went down to a tie-breaking historic playoff game Uh, between the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Red Sox. The Tribe and Boston tie with identical records of 96 and and, uh, 58. And uh, 
just, uh, again, how remarkable it was uh, uh, the way they got there. Uh, Boston ends up winning the last four games of the 1948 uh, season, and the Indians go 2-2 two and two to tie at 96-58, and 58, and, uh, again, uh, necessitating the first-ever playoff game in uh, American League history. And that's when um, – Lou Boudreau, the player manager in his seventh season as player manager of the tribe at the age of 30, um, picks, shocks everyone and chooses 20-game winner Gene Bearden, a rookie southpaw, to uh, start that playoff game on one day's rest. And Bearden obviously goes on and wins that game. And we're off to the uh, World Series for the second time uh, uh, and first time since 1920. And we heard again from Gene Bearden on last week's show. He was the game winner in Game 3. We will hear his name pop up again later in this show. He was a key figure in Game 6. But let's get going with some of the play-by-play action from Game 6. It was a scoreless game in Boston heading to the top half of the third inning. That's when the Indians would get on the scoreboard. Going into the top half of the third inning. It'll be Dale Mitchell leading off of the Cleveland Indians as we go to the top of the order. Dale Mitchell, Larry Doby, and Lou Boudreaux. Mitchell flying to center field in the first inning. Bill Boisel, the right-hander, throws. Mitchell swings and lines one down the left field line for a base hit. Maybe for extra bases. Rickard chasing the ball. Mitchell rounds first, digs for second. Here's the throw. It's in toward third. And Mitchell goes into second, standing up for the double. Dale Mitchell lines a double into the left field corner. For the third base hit for the Cleveland Indians off Bill Boisel. And for Dale Mitchell, that's his fourth World Series hit and his second extra base hit. He had a home run, and now he's got a double. That brings to the plate Larry Doby, who singled the left in the first inning. Left-hand batter, the pitch to him is swung on. There's a long fly ball to deep left field. Rickard goes back toward the fence and makes the catch for the out. And there is Mitchell tagging up, bluffing a dash to third, and Ferguson went all the way down from first base to back up second in the event there was a throw in that direction. In other words, he was sneaking in behind Mitchell, but Dale, Dale Deer, caught the voice of Bill McKechnie coaching at third base, yelling to him to get back, and he did. So Larry Doby's long drive deep into left field is caught by Rickard, just about five feet away from the left field fence for the first out in the top of the third. Manager Lou Boudreau is up, hit by pitch ball in the first inning. Bill Boisel throws. The pitch is swung on. Hit out in the right field. Racing over to Tommy Holmes. And he makes up the ball. Now Mitchell takes the third. He rounds it on his way to the plate. He goes in to score. And on at second base is Lou Boudreaux. As Lou sliced one into right field. And Tommy Holmes raced over, got his glove on the ball, and then dropped it. Mitchell was racing toward third. Had to hold up, thinking that Holmes would get the ball. And then when he dropped it, Bill McKechnie waved him on. It scored as a double for Lou Boudreaux. Into the right field uh, sector. A run batted in for Lou. Mitchell scores. And for Boudreaux, that is his fourth double of the series. And his third run batted in. Indians now lead one to nothing. Joe Gordon up. Gordon takes a high fastball. Ball one. One to nothing. Favorite Cleveland. Top half the third inning, one down. Lou Boudreau leading off second. Bill Boisel throws. Joe Gordon looks at a fastball that's inside. Ball two. What a great player that Lou Boudreau is. He is really tremendous. Activity in the Braves' bullpen. 
You've got Red Barrett and Vern Bickford, two right-handers throwing. Bill Boyzell delivers to Joe Gordon. Curveball stays high. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Bill Salkell fires the ball back out to Boyzell. Outfield pull, way around toward left. Boudreaux leads off second. Here's your pitch. Gordon takes the strike call. That three nothing pitch is right in there. Gordon taking all the way. So it's a 3-1 count on the flash. Gordon flies to left field in the first inning. Lou Boudreaux takes his lead off second. Stanky tries to dance in behind him, pull him back to the bag. Here's the pitch. Swung on by Gordon. Popped high into the air toward third. Bob Elliott under it, right at the bag. He moves over into foul territory. Makes the catch in foul territory. And they're two away. Gordon fouls out to Elliott. About a foot outside the third base bag. Now with two down, up comes Kenny Keltner. Keltner was tossed out by Al Dark in the first inning. Right-hand hitter stands deep in the batter's box in close to the plate. Slightly open stance. Full hitter outfield toward left. Eddie Stanky just about two strides to the right of seconds. We look out onto the field. Here's the pitch. And it's a high fastball. Ball one. Bob Elliott. Playing deep at third, close to the line. Or as they say in New England, Elliott. One ball, no strikes. And the pitch. Swung on it. Missed strike one. And how that cover did take a cut at that one. He was really slashing. I'll say one thing for Keltner. If Boisell should happen to give him something on the outside that Keltner can get hold of, he's got an entire county to hit it into in the right field sector. Now the pitch. Keltner swings and fouls it off the plate. Strike two, one and two. Of course, Keltner's primarily a full hitter. But every once in a while, you'll find these uh, extreme full hitters shifting their feet if they get the type of pitch they figure they can work it on and hitting to the opposite field. Now, you've got, for example, Tommy Holmes playing almost straightaway center field. He's not more than three strides to the right of a straightaway center field position, and he's the right fielder. you got Mike McCormick way over in the left center and Rickard way over on the left field line. Now the pitch to Keltner. Swung on and missed right the Cleveland Indians come up with one run, two hits, no errors to the Braves, one left on for Cleveland, doubled by Mitchell and Boudreaux, leading to the score, and at the end of two and a half innings, the score is Cleveland one, Braves nothing. So the Tribe had taken the early lead in game six, trying to close out the World Series. They had a three games to two lead over the Braves. It would be anything but easy, though, on a Monday afternoon in Boston. We'll continue with that story when we return as Tribe Talk continues on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Bob DiBiasio, Indians Vice President. We are looking back at the 1948 World Series, the last time the Indians won the World Series championship. They defeated the Boston Braves four games to two, and we are covering... Game six for you. Last segment, we heard the Indians grab a lead in the top half of the third inning, one nothing. The Red Sox would tie it up in the bottom of the fourth, and as we headed to the sixth, the game was still tied at one. 
We're headed to the top half of the sixth inning. The Indians at bat trying to take a lead once again at Braves Field. And that will bring up tall, left-handed Eddie Robinson of Paris, Texas. Mr. Gordon, a little earlier in the series, collected his 24th hit in World Series competition. And his fourth home run has put Cleveland in front 2-1. Robinson is hitless in two trips. Boisell delivers. Outside. Ball one. Boisell has suddenly lost his ability to catch the corners. And Red Barrett and Warren Spawn, the latter the hero of yesterday's game defensively, are winding up. The stretch. The pitch. Inside. Ball two. Two and nothing. Eddie Sankey charges in from his second base position in an effort to settle down the big South Carolinian. Boisell turned his back on him for an instant, not knowing that Eddie was there. They make quite a picture, by the way. Sankey is very much shorter than Bill. He pats him affectionately on the back with his glove and then goes back to his position. Sankey occasionally, with a right-hander up, will play out on the grass about five or six feet to the right of second base. With a left-hander like Eddie Robinson, he's about 35 feet to the right of second. Tucker leads off. Here's the pitch. Ball three. That was a high, fast one to the inside. And the count is 3-0. and oh. Through the first five innings, Boisell scattered four hits. And his most effective stretch was when he retired seven men in a row in the third, fourth, and fifth before walking Dobie. Then Gordon broke it up, sent Cleveland ahead 2-1 to one with his home run. Here's the big one. Strike call. Three and one. The big one as far as Boisell was concerned. Not as far as Eddie Robinson was concerned because he got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a three and nothing count. One man out in the sixth inning. Boisell working from a stretch. There goes the runner. And there's the drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Sankey. Runners on first and third. And Boisell is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. He got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a three and nothing count. One man out of the sixth inning. Boisell working from a stretch. There goes the runner. And there's a drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Sankey. Runners on first and third. And Boisell is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 sets. Jim Hegan has one hit. He singled the left in the second inning, then he went down swinging in the fourth inning. And incidentally, with Mr. Lemon batting back with Mr. Deegan, the Clevelanders have a nine-man baseball team in the field today because Lemon is a good hitter. He hit five home runs through the regular season play. Deegan has four hits and 17 strips. Time calls. Bill Summers stepped into the breach. He looked over in the direction of the Cleveland dugout, pointed to the pitcher, it was difficult to understand just what was intended. The outfield is set to the left. Tucker on third, Robinson on first. One man out. Boisell in trouble. He takes a stretch. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. 
He poured a fastball overhand. One strike to count. Cleveland has two runs, six hits. The Boston Braves have one run, five hits. Boisell has that one strike count. He takes his stretch. He delivers. Foul tip. That one went right back against Bill Falkell's shin. Bill has been a target frequently in this series. He injured a groin muscle when running during one of the games at Braves Field, but very gamely played yesterday and hit a home run. And then a little earlier in this ball game, when Boudreau tried the pickoff play, Mr. Lemon hit him right in the seat of the baseball pants with a throw to second base. And that time, a fast foul tip struck his shin guard. But he shook it off. He's caught slow with a count of two strikes on Jim Hegan, waiting for the next one. Boisell gets set. He pitches. Inside. Just barely inside. Hegan was about to swing and then finally decided against it and backed away. So the count is one ball, two strikes. Cleveland leads 2-1 to one in the sixth game of the series and three games to two in the five games played thus far. Boisell takes his stretch. He throws it. There's a ground ball, and that one goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to second, second to first, and it is dropped, and it is 3-1. Sankey's throw to first base was poor. It was high. It struck the heel of Earl Ferguson's glove, and he knocked it down as the Braves blew a perfect opportunity to retire the side with a double play. Tucker scores on Hegan's fielder's choice. No error is charged. Hegan... Egan is given credit for driving in a run. He's on first base with two men out. The play was five to four. Elliott to Stanky, and Bob Lemon comes up. Boisell, with luck, could have been out of the inning. But the Braves have consistently been unable to match Cleveland's double play. Here's the pitch. There goes a ground ball right to Torgerson. He steps on first to retire the side as Bob Lemon goes right after that first pitch. One, two runs for Cleveland in the inning. Two hits, no errors, a base on ball, and a runner left. And at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston one. So the Indians had grabbed a three-to-one lead as the game would head to the eighth inning. We'll pick up further action then after this timeout as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us on this New Year's weekend. A special show for you as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. The last time the Indians won the World Series, they defeated the Boston Braves four games to two. And we are deep into game six at Braves Field in Boston. When we left off, we were in the top half of the eighth inning. The Indians leading the Braves three to one on a day where they would eventually clinch the World Series championship in six games. Now, we're joined by Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. We have been throughout our look back at this World Series, and one of the biggest differences of this World Series was it was the first to be televised in some form. How about that? Now you wouldn't even think about that because TV controls when the game times are and game dates and everything that goes along with it. This was the first time that television was a part of the World Series and the descriptions that we're hearing are part of the national radio broadcast with Mel Allen and Jim Britt. 
But as Bobby D was telling us, television was the biggest difference in this World Series. Well, it was, and obviously some of the great names in baseball, you know, you have Bob Feller and, and the emergence of Larry Doby and the social significance of, of that. He's now on television playing in the World Series. Um, just how exciting that had to be for the, uh, uh, the game of baseball, the industry at that time that we're now beamed on television and uh, over the airwaves. Um, but I just get back to the crowds of 80,000 plus and how, how awesome it would be um, to have been a part of that. Yeah, something else in, in that fall classic of 1948. And uh, we'll pick up again Mel Allen and Jim Britt on the radio side as we head to the eighth inning. Indians looking to add a little insurance as they lead it by a score of 3-1 to one in what turned out to be the decisive game six for the try. Red uh, continues to warm up for the Boston Braves. And Vernon Bickford is also loosening up. Spawn takes his wind up with one out and an on. There's a ground ball that bounces away from Spawn. Dart picks it up, throws to first. Not in time. And it scores base hit. That's the second hit he's allowed in a relief roll. It bounded away from Spawn, was picked up on the dead run by Al Dart, and Keltner has just collected his second hit of the series. He now has a total of two hits and 21 trips, but there were 19 unsuccessful at-bats in between. He had one of the series' most dismal slumps. Thurman Tucker, the center fielder up. He fouled the third base, grounded the second, walked, and scored the third run. There goes a drive to right field. It's in there. Tommy Holmes fields it on the dead run and holds the runners to first and second. He stepped right into that very first pitch that was fired to him by Warren Spahn, and now Eddie Robinson comes up with runners on first and second. Spahn is not the puzzle to the Indians. This afternoon that he was yesterday. Yesterday, Lou Boudreau was the only hitter, getting a double in the eighth inning, and then the next three men were struck out. But now, with one out, and it took a fine catch by Richard to retire Gordon, Robinson is up with two men on. He has one out of three. Eddie is a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow curveball that came over. Keltner on second base. Tucker on first base. And the Indians are in scoring position again. They now have nine hits. One hit more than they had behind Lemon in his first victory. Vaughn takes a stretch. Looks at second. Pitches. Threw a curveball that missed the outside corner, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. Bill McKechnie holds up one finger to be certain that the runners realize the situation is one out. Tucker has a man-sized lead at first. Kelton takes a longer one. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. And here comes Keltner sprinting for the plate with a fourth Indian run. Runners are on first and third as three consecutive hits rattle off Warren Spahn's delivery and Cleveland takes a lead of 4-1. to That was Robinson's sixth hit of the series. Keltner scored. Tucker went all the way to third base. And we're looking down below to see whether or not Billy Southworth intends to make an appearance. Jim Hegan is getting ready to bat. And Spawn apparently is going to stay in. 
Cleveland leads 4-1. to That was the score by which Lemon won the second game. Vaughn takes a stretch. Here it comes. Outside, fastball. Tucker on third base. Robinson on first base. And Robinson's line drive was well over Torgerson's head down the right field line with Holmes running fast to cover. One ball, no strike. There's a throw to first base. Robinson is back in time under Mel Harder's shout of look out. This is the gloomiest day we've had. It has turned into it weather-wise. Another throw to first base, but Robinson is back easily. Cleveland now has four runs, ten hits. And the Indians are still in a rallying position. The outfield is deep to the left. The pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, and the count is one and one. The Indians broke a one-run tie, which lasted through the first five innings of play. Time called for an instant. Lou Boudreau hollered from the dugout as Egan got ready to step out. And then Bill Summers insisted that the pitcher wait. The infield is in. The stretch, the pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, letter high to the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. The situation in the sixth game of the World Series is inning number eight. Thanks to that fine catch by Rickard, who held the ball off Gordon's bat after somersaulting, Vaughn has been touched up so far for only one run. This could have been a very sizable inning, and still may be. Egan stepped out of the box, rubbed some dirt into his hands, is back in again. He's a tall, well-built, good-looking catcher with a great future. Vaughn is ready. Swing and a miss for strike three. Ball. That's the third Cleveland strikeout of the game. Bob Lemon is coming out of the dugout to bat. He has been a great competitor in this series. In 16 innings, the Braves have reached him for only two runs, one of them unearned. And in 16 innings, if you're further interested, he has scattered 14 hits. And that is mightily effective pitching on any occasion. Robinson on first. Tucker on third base. Two men out for Cleveland. Vaughn getting ready to pitch. Here it comes. Foul ball back over the top for strike one. That was a fastball. Baseball is a strange game. And I presume that right now the Braves partisans and Billy Southworth are wondering how it is possible for a team to score 11 runs one day and only one the next. The answer, of course, is in the pitching. There's a throw to first base, but no pickoff, no tag. Robinson was able to get back safely. This is the only stage of the game, by the way, in which there were three successive hits. Here it comes. Curveball high, and the count is one and one. One scoreboard has a count of one ball and one strike. The other scoreboard has a count of two balls and one strike. The official scoreboard says one and one. Warren Barnes takes a stretch. Robinson has a long lead, and he dares her to pick him off. The throw is to the plate, and they have Tucker chopped off. Here's the throw, and he's out. 
So the Indians were up by a score of 4-1. to one. Boston came back and scored two runs in the bottom half of the eighth inning to make it a 4-3 ball game as we headed to the ninth. So some tension. Indians looking to close it out. We've mentioned the name Gene Bearden a couple of times on our shows already. He did not start that game. Bob Lemon did. But Bearden would play a key role late in Game 6. And we'll hear that as we conclude Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, Jim Rosenhouse, along with Bob DiBiasio, our final segment as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. Indians three outs away from clinching the series, leading three games to two. It is game six at Braves Field in Boston. The Tribe up four to three, heading to the bottom half of the ninth inning. Let's listen in. Cleveland leads by a 4-3 score, and Eddie Sankey will be the Braves' leadoff batter. In the last of the ninth, he's a right-hander. He's walked twice. Then first pitch is low inside, ball one. The record, incidentally, for the most home runs in a single game in the World Series is Babe Ruth. That's an answer to a query. Three. Bob Elliott tied the all-time National League mark with two yesterday. Bearden delivers. Ball two. That was letter high outside, and it's two and nothing. Three batters, and two of them have hit the ball extremely well. Then after fly and make these double. Here it comes. Strike call. There was to be no denying young Mr. Bearden that time. He fired one right down the middle. And it's two and one. Bob Feller and Steve Dromack are winding up for Cleveland. The Indians are trying to nurse a one-run lead in the ninth inning. There goes a high foul fly ball down the left field line. Kennedy running hard, but he can't get it. It fell out of his reach by about 20 feet out in what normally would be the Boston Braves bullpen. Two balls, two strikes. Both Keltner and Boudreaux tried, but Kennedy was the only one who had any chance, whatever. The outfield with Sankey up is playing well to the left. And his immediate problem, of course, is to get on base. He wasn't up there to wait Mr. Bearden out. As soon as that first good hit came over with a count two and one, he went after it. And now Bearden has him in a two and two hole. Bearden winds up. Three and two. That was a curveball that hung high to the outside. Incidentally, it is very dark here at Fenway Park. Very cloudy and ominous overhead. But it has been a very happy circumstance that this game went at all. Here it comes. There's a drive foul to left. A wicked line drive that bounces off the facade of the left field boxes. 
And it's recovered out there by the foul line umpire. Mr. Bearden has at least this edge against the batters in this inning. The darkness, I mean. Because visibility handicaps the batter somewhat on such a day as this when the afternoon wears on. Here's the big one. Ball four. Sankey gets his third walk of the game and his seventh base on balls of the series. There may be a pinch runner. Tommy Ryan is going to run for Sankey. And Sibby 50 will bat for Spawn. Tommy Ryan of New Orleans, Louisiana, is running for Sankey. And Sibby 50 of Buffalo, New York, a fellow townsman of Warren Spawn, will bat for him. This is Sissy's first appearance at the plate in the series. But he filled in handsomely for Stanky during the period of Eddie's injury. No one out. Ryan on first base. Bearden takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He tried to punt it. Cleveland naturally expects the sacrifice, and both Robinson and third baseman Ken Keltner were quick to come in with the intention of covering the plate. One strike to count. There is no one out. But Billy Southworth is prepared to risk the percentage opportunity of a bunt and sacrifice 50. Ken Keltner is in on the grab. Down the third baseline. He's sneaking in a little. Here it comes. And it's inside and low. One and one. Keltner wound up about 50 feet from home plate. 50 is a fair punter. It's difficult to determine just exactly where he will place the ball. He's very fast. He's one of the fastest base runners of race pass. And since that's the case, under the Southwest School, he practices punting, as do Dark and Torgerson. One and one to count. Here it comes. There's the bunt. It's a foul ball, and Hegan throws to first for the double play. Egan took it right out in front of the plate. It was ruled a fair ball, and then he fired it to first base for the ninth double play for Cleveland in the series. Bearden threw in a knuckleball, perhaps. It's difficult to determine from here, but the double play was two to three, and all he had to do was wait for Robinson to cover first because Ryan was going on it. Two men out and Tommy Holmes the batter. And some of the fans are already beginning to leave. Convinced the destiny has been shaped. Strike calls. One strike to count. From a situation with a runner on first base, no one out. An optimistic situation, failing as they do by one run, three to four. The Braves now have two men out, no one on. 
Here's the pitch. Foul ball. And that one is coming up here. But down two strikes. Incidentally, Cleveland in this game has had four double plays. So they've had six of their nine double plays in support of Bob Lemon and Bearden. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed. As our Rue Boudreau and out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. The final score, Cleveland, four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves, three runs, nine hits, no errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. The losing pitcher, Big Bill Voisel. And camera flashbulbs are exploding all over the premises as the Braves, Billy Southworth, Congratulate Lou Boudreau and the Indians have tucked away the bunting in baseball's greatest classic. Well, Bobby D., this was, uh, I'm sure, a great holiday present for a lot of Tribe fans out there. Thanks so much for stopping by and reliving one of the great memories in this franchise's history. Well, a happy and healthy New Year to you and all the Tribe fans out there, and go Tribe! And that's going to put a wrap on this edition of Tribe Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.